What's up, guys? Welcome back to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. My name's John, and this is r slash Malicious Compliance. Happy Cheap Beer Monday. So in case anybody's wondering, you really can set up a recording studio, so to speak, in a Kia Sereno. I hope you guys can forgive any background noise you hear. You never hear it. You never complain about it if you do. Um, but I'm going to be hand-holding the mic tonight. I've got the car running. I've got the fan blowing air conditioning on me because I am a lazy, fat, spoiled SOB. And I will be damned if I'm going to go on with this video and sweat through it. If I'm going to make it so that you guys enjoy it, I'm going to enjoy it too. And I said Cheap Beer Monday, but it may end up being Cheap Beer Tuesday for some of you guys because Lord only knows between internet signal, trying to keep the thing charged, a slow old laptop, um, and, you know, trying to find that special swamp genie down here to get my three wishes to get this video uploaded. It may take me a little bit of time, but as you saw from the one on Tales from Tech Support today, earlier today, it is possible. It just takes a little extra time and you guys are worth it. So, all right, let's do some malicious compliance. Forced to work closing? Not so much. Way back in the day, I, like many, delivered pizza to make additional money while in college. Not at a high-end place. Let's call it Krusty's. The manager was an okay guy. The assistant manager? Not so much. Total B. The only requirement I had working there was I would not work nights before exams. This was usually not a problem. One day was looking especially busy and the manager asked me if I could work the night before a final exam. As he was okay, I agreed as long as he scheduled me for the early shift, not closing. And he agreed. Assistant B was in charge that night and she absolutely hated to close. So first thing when I walk in, she started, Grim Spirit 42, you're closing tonight. Well, that was a deep voice for a she, but whatever. I replied, no, that wasn't the agreement. I'll be working the early shift as I have an exam tomorrow. Assistant B, sorry, but you don't have a choice in the matter. Me, I don't. Assistant B, nope. Me, well, you would be wrong in that. And I proceeded to take off my shirt, throw it behind the counter, and left with a final, I'm out of here. After I arrived home, shirtless, I received a frantic call from the manager as to why I quit. This was pre-cell phone. I regaled him with the Assistant B's orders and he begged me to come back and said he would notify Assistant B that 1. I would be first one off and 2. She would be closing. Assistant B didn't even deign to speak to me for weeks. No big loss. Epilogue. I eventually graduated and went to other jobs. About 5 or 6 years later I ran into the manager and we greet each other and talk about what's been going on. During this, the following exchange. Me, whatever happened to Assistant B? She was a real B. Manager, well, I married her. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> I didn't see that one coming. Me, oops, I'm sorry I said that, but we never got along. Manager, nope, you were right the first time. <laughs> oh, my God. Could you imagine saying that? Oh, I married her. Oh, dear Lord. Well, hey. The truth shall set you free, right? Mm, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> uh, that's that got to be embarrassing saying that kind of stuff. But yeah, I used to work fast food and a couple different types of jobs in construction and everything else. And there was always this one supervisor or assistant manager or somebody who thought they had way more power than they actually did. You know, they'd always try to try to run you into the ground. And do things that were totally against what you agreed on for that day, that week, when you got hired, whatever. And, uh, yeah, I know I'm poor, but I will walk. So, whatever. Professor is forced to do a speech and complies to the max. 
Back when I was in high school, a long time ago, whenever an important date approached, i.e. Independence Day or something like that, we would line up in the courtyard and would have to be standing still as in formation, and one of the teachers would do a speech about the date and the importance of it. Those speeches would usually be around 10 to 15 minutes long, about as long as it was humanely possible, humanly, humanely, yeah, possible to keep 150 teenagers lined up and standing still in formation and listening. And the teacher doing the speech would rotate amongst all the faculty and, since there were quite a few teachers, each teacher was due around once a year or less than that. There was one notable omission on the teacher's roster. The mechanogra- what the f- What the hell is even that?! The mechanography teacher. This would age the post really well, I guess. Not for me. I have no idea what that is, so it's got to be older than me. Never did a speech. Never. Let's call him Mech. He would always refuse and get away with it for whatever reason. In around 30 or so years teaching at the school, it became famous that he never did a speech. Until this one day when I guess the dean got out of bed on the wrong foot or whatever, and he absolutely demanded Mech do the speech. There was no way to get away with it. Mech would have to do it. His first speech in 30 years or so at the school. Even some of the faculty, former students of Mech's themselves, were excited to see the outcome of this power struggle between Mech and the Dean. So we lined up at the courtyard, 150 students, 15 to 20 teachers, etc. And Mech took the stand and the mic with definitely a smirk of malicious compliance in his face. And he delivered. More than 45 minutes of an absolutely drowsing speech, telling every single minute detail and fact about the date in question. For the students, it was destruction. Having to stand still and silent for almost an hour, failing to do so was one of the most punishable offenses, trying not to fall asleep on our feet. The Dean tried to stop Mech twice. The first time, Mech just completely ignored the Dean. The second time, Mech just plainly told the Dean, you wanted me to do the speech, deal with it, for the whole audience to hear. Around 30 to 35 minutes in, some of the older, I don't give a crap anymore students started shouting things at Mech not hurtful things, but colorful comments about the speech. We started laughing. Mech carried on as if nothing happened. Dean tried to take the stand to demand silence. Mech denied the Dean, saying, I'm not finished yet. That day, we lost probably an hour and a half of teaching time. We ended up hating Mech for the future. <laughs> we ended up hating Mech for the torture he put us through. When he finished, the Dean had no choice but to give us a short, unscheduled break before returning to class. Over the years, I realized what an absolute masterpiece of malicious compliance Mech delivered. Mech never did a speech again at the school. That's just like when, you know, assistant managers and supervisors start pushing for things that they really shouldn't. While I will agree that if everybody's in rotation and it's kind of part of the job description, he shouldn't have been allowed to get away with it for 30 years. But uh, at the same time, if you allowed him to get away with it for 30 years and all of a sudden now you want to push, you get what you get. And it's not going to be something you enjoy. So, uh, yeah. Good for Mech and good for some of those students. Or bad for some of those students. I remember standing in formation in basic training. How many guys? And, you know, it wasn't the heat because it was like 20 below zero when we were in formation at the Great Mistakes training base in Illinois. And uh, guys would lock their knees up and drop right out on the cold blacktop. And... Uh, it, like I said, it couldn't be heat, so it must have been just them locking their legs out and having no blood flow, but whatever. Uh, yeah. After a while, you kind of learn to deal with some of that kind of stuff, and you kind of learn to disconnect yourself from your body and, you know, just think of anything else. As long as you can keep your body and your face in the right position, and you don't get yelled at. So, good for him. Tipsy Monday just doesn't really roll off the tongue well. we got to start making that a Tuesday thing. 
Although, like I said, by the time I get done editing and stuff, it very well could be Tuesday for everyone when this thing comes out. So we'll see. By the way, the light's bright in here. I'm not crying. You're crying. Anyway, I have got allergies that are just absolutely destroying me since we drove several states south this week. And uh, yeah, it is what it is. Professor doesn't agree with compulsory attendance and mandatory exams. This post about a professor maliciously complying reminded me of a story of my first year from my university when I was studying German at a German university. Man, I'll bet I messed half of that sentence up. Traditionally, German universities handed out degrees called Diplom. That sounded more French than German. For engineers and natural scientists and Magister of Humanities. In the early 2000s, all the universities had to adapt to the bachelor-slash-master system to make degrees internationally comparable. The main difference between the two systems is that in the old Magister system, there was no compulsory attendance and no tests. You just participated as you saw fit, and at the end of a semester, you would get a slip of paper for each course you took. Once you had collected enough paper slips, you could take an exam, and at the end, you would write a thesis. In the new system, there was compulsory attendance, and every course needed to be graded because all the grades went into your final grade. That, of course, meant a lot more work for the professors as they had to grade dissertations or exams for every class they taught. This was a huge inconvenience to them because in Germany, teaching and research are not separated. As a professor, you are expected to do both, and every minute you spend teaching cannot be used to do research, write, and publish articles, thus secure funding for your research. I happened to be in the first cohort to study under the new system at my university. It was one professor in particular who voiced his disapproval very adamantly. He taught German linguistics. In his first lesson of the semester, he told us about compulsory attendance. He then said, I'll leave the attendance sheet on my desk right here. I'll also inform you that I will have a five-minute smoking or toilet break in the middle of my lessons where I will leave the room. As this is a very big classroom, I can of course not remember all of your faces and or handwritings. So I guess I'll have to trust that none of you would, I don't know, just come in during the break, sign the sheet for you and everyone you know, and leave. His class was genuinely interesting, though, so a lot of us went anyway, but it was nice to know he was on our side. In the last lesson before the exam, he said, do not study for this exam. I mean it. The difficulty level of the exam is lower than low. Don't waste your time. Of course, no one believed him and everyone studied nevertheless. The exam consisted of three questions translated to English for your reading experience. What is your name? Worth 20 points. <laughs> Which of these is a linguistic term? Worth 40 points. A. Ladies choice. B. Federal election. C. Speaker selection. Petra is waiting for her boyfriend at the park after the exam. Determine the different parts of the sentence. Worth 40 points. For context, question 3 is a subject matter of grade 4 in elementary school. Not surprisingly, nearly everyone got 100% on the exam. <laughs> what a cool professor. I don't know if he was doing it to be cool or so much that he hated the fact that, you know, if your time is split between research and teaching and all that stuff, um, and you're being forced to do one so that it eats into your other time, that's kind of crappy, man. Um, so I can understand why he did it. Although I've had other teachers, adjunct professors and things like that when I was doing, you know, night school, learning as an adult, some of our professors by the end of the day were uh, totally wasted at that point. Not, well, there was a couple that were wasted, wasted, but most of them, I mean, they were just tired. It was a long day. They're ready to be done, and they're going until 9, 30, 10 o'clock in the evening teaching us jackasses. And uh, so by then, they were ready just to be done, man. They'd let us out early. They'd, you know, 
the bell curve on that thing was usually like Mount Everest. I mean, they really gave us a lot of leeway on these exams. And, you know, I'm smart enough that I probably would have passed it anyway, but it was nice to know that even if I totally effed up, you know, because I had to work late or whatever, that I was pretty much covered to at least pass. C's get degrees, right? Oh, well. Changed my phone wallpaper? Okay. I had a picture of a snake as my phone wallpaper, and my father wasn't pleased. He asked me to change my wallpaper, so I did. A few days later, I was at church with my father, <laughs> standing in a circle with all of his church friends. I got out my phone on full brightness and switched it onto a wallpaper of a bikini girl. I looked forward after a while and saw some of his friends looking at me. Back home, my father was a bit pissed, but more amused than anything. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, my God. So... I'm not sure why dad was pissed about it being a snake. Maybe it was a whole religious, you know, serpent in the garden kind of thing. Or he was just like my dad and deathly, deathly afraid of snakes. It didn't matter how harmless or how non-venomous because everybody keeps screaming at me when I use the word poisonous. I don't know why. It's just something I grew up with on the East Coast. People would interchange the word venom and poison, whatever. Don't yell at me for that, please. Anyway, it didn't matter how, you know, harmless or non-venomous it was. He would, he would kill himself and destroy whatever structure he was in to get away from whatever snake was around. Uh, one day we were working construction and we had this, we shared this truck at this time because I effed up as a teenager, didn't make the payments. So anyway, it was an 89 Toyota two wheel drive pickup. Neat little pickup, ran like a champ until he ran it out of oil. But anyway, so I was the low man on the totem pole. I was still in school at the time. And uh, he would send me out to be the grunt to get materials or to go pick up uh, coffee for the guys for coffee break. So I would get the list together, writing my list on a little block of scrap wood so that I could take it to the store and pick up coffee, sodas, water, bagels, whatever everybody was having for break. And uh, so I went out and did the run. And on the way back, and this was sort of a remote location, if you can imagine such a place exists in southern New Jersey. But anyway... Um, and on the way back, I saw this dead snake half coiled up in the road. And I don't even remember what it was, but let me tell you something. When I say that thing was as thick around as this microphone, maybe a little more, like this part of the microphone right here. Oh, yeah. It, it was just big enough that it, it had some heft when you picked it up. So I picked it up and I had, oh, I had also picked up fuel for our uh, generator. We had to run off a generator on this job site we were on. And uh, so... I had a round metal gas can in the bed of the truck. So I moved that aside. I coiled the snake up in a nice, perfect little circle with the head like sticking up in the middle just a little bit. And then I sat that can so nice and neat on top of this dead ass snake and uh, drove back to the job. We all had coffee break. Everything was fine. Well, my dad, I asked him if he would put gas in the generator and restart it while we all put our tool belts on and climbed up to work on the roof. Let me tell you something. You've never seen a fat boy scamper up a ladder so fast in your life. Well, when I got to the top and stepped off the ladder onto the scaffolding right at the roof edge, uh, he let out a scream that it was so, it was honestly kind of frightening listening to this scream from around the corner of the house. And I saw a gas can go flying about 30 feet away from the truck into the trees. <laughs> oh my God. He was so pissed. He came up that ladder after me. I must have ran across that roof doing about 50 miles an hour, man. It was hilarious. But, uh, yeah, I know I'm off topic, but whatever. It's all good. So, 
who knows if my if my dad if I had put a screensaver if he ever got a smartphone which he never did uh <laughs> god bless him he would never give up his flip phone but anyway if I ever got him a screensaver on a smartphone and it had a snake on it he probably would have chucked it right through the window of his camper so oh man memories hmm. clean the paint pots okay in high school, I got a detention with the art teacher and had to stay behind after class for an hour. This is in the UK. Our punishment was to clean the six-pot art palettes. They had been used and abused for years on end, and each student putting in a new color of paint over the various other dried colors until the recesses were almost non-existent. Clean these palettes was the assignment, so okay, that's what I did. The other students cleaned out the freshest, wettest paint and put them back by the handful. I went to town on one palette, scraping and scrubbing and brushing for almost the full hour until the original plastic was visible and the palette appeared brand new. The teacher came in after the hour to check on our progress and was shocked when they saw how clean my one was compared to the other student's 15. She did laugh though and took it all well and couldn't complain because that was the assignment. I used that palette for the rest of my art class. Edit. So everybody's saying it's not malicious. I did what she said but not what she meant. That seems okay for this sub to me. Yeah. That's malicious compliance. I mean, it's not. <laughs> it's not. Uh, it's not some big earth-shattering thing. But you know what she meant. She didn't expect anybody to get all those colors off. I mean, for years they allowed students to just keep building up layers of paint, layers of paint, layers of paint, and didn't complain. So obviously they just wanted the freshest stuff off, the, so that they could get a little more use out of them. Uh, this kid here, male, female, I don't know. This kid here took it to the extreme and really got it clean. Good for you, man. I tend to be that way anyway. Uh, you know, when I, I worked one summer for a painter, and it was pretty cool. Uh, now I know why they're all alcoholics, by the way. House painter, by that is. And uh, so we would take the, the tops off of empty paint cans, one-gallon paint cans, and there's that drip lip where if you don't clean it out properly and you put the lid on and tap it with a hammer to seal it, it would, you know, spray the walls, spray your shirt. Well... We used to be able to take a, a screwdriver or a five-in-one painter's tool and cut little slots in that groove so that when you did clean your brushes or scrape them or whatever, or when you were pouring paint and tipped the can back up, that paint would get into that channel and drain back down into the can. Then when we were done, we would actually take the five-in-one and actually cut the rest of that inner lip off to make it easier to use as a secondary paint pot. You know, you would mix up your gallon or five gallons of paint and then pour just enough in there to cover half to three quarters of your brush bristle when you stand it up in the pot and go about cutting in and painting and things like that. And, uh, you know, everybody else would barely rinse theirs out and it would drive me nuts. About once a week I would stand there with either a Scotch-Brite pad or a, you know, Brillo pad or even just plain old 4 aught steel wool and I would scrape these things and rinse them underwater until they just were perfect. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't have a lot of OCD issues I mean, you should see the floor of this car right now. But anyway, when it comes to paint stuff, I tend to clean up really, really well. So I haven't had a sick day in nine years. For reference, this takes place around 2017, so definitely pre-COVID. I used to work in a training center for a Fortune 500 company. When the class wasn't in session, the building normally had four people in it. Me, the trainee, the boss, and the other two trainers. I called in sick two days in a row because I had some nasty lung infection. On the second day, the boss starts ranting 
at me about how kids these days have no discipline. And I haven't taken a sick day in nine years. Oh, this is from the manager. <laughs> I tried asking if he wanted me to get the doctor's note, but he was pretty adamant about me coming in the next day. He said that he can decide if I'm actually sick and he can send me home. I was one of the few women working in that section of the company, less than half everyone's age, and felt like arguing with him about it was a bad idea. Q, 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 spelled four different ways, malicious compliance. That next morning, I decided to not pump myself full of cold meds and just go in raw dogging life. As soon as I walk in the door, the trainers look at me and I say, I'm very sick, might want to give me a wide berth. They looked at me wide-eyed, nodded, and went to a different section of the building. The boss hears me coughing so hard I'm having to do a gasp for air like I just emerged from the depths. He walks in and goes, oh, you really are sick. You should go home. But I don't understand how you got this sick. And then reminds me, I haven't taken a sick day in nine years. So I drive home and come back in the next day. The trainers look at me and say, what the hell are you doing here? Me, the boss said, if I'm actually sick, he can send me home. They laughed and avoided my section of the building. <laughs> the boss once again hears me coughing and gasping for air and comes in and dismisses me. And this time he tells me that he doesn't need more proof. I can come back when I feel better. Four days later, Mr. I haven't taken a sick day in nine years was sick with some nasty lung nonsense and was out for a week. If only he had more discipline. So I've worked for people like this before. And I, I you know, the older I get, I can be a little bit like this too. You know, the old, back in my day, eh, I get it. The guy was probably full of shit, first of all. Nobody gets away for nine years without taking one sick day. I mean, come on. Even my dad, he was one of the most diehard workers I've ever met in my life. He would go in, he went in, oh my gosh, okay, side story again. When I was a little kid, I must have been in like fifth grade, my dad was on a roof. I was working a Saturday with the guys, and I was passing materials up to them, and it was on a rancher to the roof, so passing plywood up so they could sheathe the roof. A couple guys were laying it out and tacking the corners, meaning putting a nail in each of the four corners, getting everything lined up. A couple other guys were coming along, nailing it all on, and my dad was supervising, laying out, just helping wherever he could. He was scurrying all over the roof like a freaking cracked-out squirrel. Anyway, the guys evidently didn't get one sheet tacked in right, and he stepped on this sheet and rode it off of that roof like a surfboard. Unfortunately, he didn't ride it to the ground like a surfboard because it kept going. He went straight down onto the concrete patio down below the back of the house onto both heels and broke both his feet. He traded cars with who I would call at that time affectionately Uncle Johnny, who was just the best friend of my dad and my uncle, and they were all in the same fire department together too, the volunteer fire department. And uh, he traded cars with Johnny because it was a low car and it was easier to get in and out of, and Johnny took the pickup for the week. And then when we got home, I remember vividly my dad asking me to clear the TV. Now remember, TVs back in the day, boys and girls, we're like CRT monitors, only bigger and heavier if you had a decent size one. We had a rolling TV stand, and he asked me to take the TV off the TV stand and bring it over to him at the front door, which is about as far as he made it from the car. And he used that as his makeshift wheelchair around our apartment for uh, days before he went to the doctor. Regardless, he was still in that car the next morning. I don't know how he got there because he beat me there. And uh, ready to go to work, and yeah... So even my tough-ass old dad would still take a sick day once in a while, although it took him about two or three days from the time the injury happened to the time he got to the doctor 
until he took a couple days off. But, uh, yeah, what a tough old SOB, man. I miss him. But, yeah, he had some issues when it came to workaholic stuff. So, since there's nothing wrong with it, you can buy it. On mobile, so sorry for any formatting issues. My SUV was throwing error codes, so we took it to the dealership to have them look at it. They informed us that the computer just needed a reset and everything was good. We didn't believe them, so we went to pick it up. My husband drove it around the parking lot, and just as we suspected it was driving awful and now making a horrible noise. So we went back inside and told them they were wrong and to fix it properly. Several days later, they called us back to say that they figured it out and it was definitely fixed now. Something to do with the transfer case and a $2,000 bill later, we're told it's fixed and we won't have any further issues. Great, I drive it away and I get error codes again. By this point, we're beyond frustrated because this vehicle just keeps costing us money and is being nothing but issues for the past year or so. So we take it to the dealership and tell them we'd like to sell it. The lady evaluating it asks if there's anything wrong with it, and I inform her that I just picked it up from your service department earlier today and they told us it works perfectly. She takes the keys and goes out to look at it, comes back in and asks about flashing lights and some weird things. We agree with her and let her in on the story. We walk over to the service desk and inform them that their sales department won't buy it because there's something wrong with it. So why does the service department keep telling us that there's nothing wrong with it? He went so red and immediately went to speak with his manager. They ended up having to call the vehicle engineers to figure out how to fix it, and we only had to pay costs on the part that apparently would actually fix it. It was something to do with the computer, something that needs replacing after the transfer case goes. I can't say for certain if it was finally fixed or not because the day I picked it up, I traded it in for a different make. Oh dear, I've had a few of these in the past. I remember also when I was a child, man, it's it's old home day, man. It's like every one of these stories connects to my dad in some way, shape, or form. Wow. It's kind of trippy, man. Like everything I can think of right now just relates to my dad. So thank you for that. Uh, yeah, this is cool. Anyway, my dad was a big Bronco guy back in the 70s and 80s. And uh, I remember he had a 79 Bronco first and it was used, but in really good shape. And, you know, we used it and abused it and beat the crap out of it, taking it back and forth to work, to main, towing trailers, everything. This thing ran great. Then he traded it in. Oh, I don't know if he traded it in, but he sold it. And then we got an 85 Ford Bronco and it ran okay. It had some issues, you know. Eh, nothing special. I mean, it was still the same body style and everything. Had a few more bells and whistles on the dash and stuff, so that was cool. We did learn that you never, ever, ever, ever take the back roof off of a, you know, late 70s, early 80s to late 80s Bronco and expect to put it back on without at least a group of people and a case of beer to help you out. Because the roof, when you take it off of the bolts that, you know, the studs that stick up out of the frame rail to mount to it, um, the roof expands and like, it springs out. So basically, uh, it takes a bunch of people on each side to press it in and set it down on these studs. So anyway, side story to the side story. <laughs> um, when he finally got rid of that one and got an 89 Ford Bronco, uh, that's when all shit went downhill. 89 or 90. Anyway, he got this Bronco nice. I mean, it was real nice. It was black and gray, just beautiful. Uh, but it ran like shit right from the start. And I'm pretty sure that that Bronco is still sitting somewhere in the wilds of northern Maine where it broke down when he went up there to go hunting one year. And uh, he told the dealership, you know what? You don't want to help me out? Come F and get it. Never did see that truck again. Hmm. 
All right, guys, thanks for sharing a little bit of your day with me today. I appreciate you hanging out with me and uh, letting me walk down memory lane with you guys about my dad. Uh, it's funny, I wasn't really thinking of him especially today, but, I mean, I'm down here in Florida to get my mom, his wife, to take her back up home to visit with us and our grandkids and her grandkids for a while, great-grandkids. And uh, then she's going to New Jersey to visit with my sister and her family for a while and all that stuff. Well, she tells me at dinner tonight, sitting there, that uh, today would have been their 42nd wedding anniversary. Um, now, my mom is my stepmom, so the math doesn't work out quite right. But trust me, it was a long time compared to most of the people I knew growing up. So anyway, thank you for that. And uh, until the next one, we'll see you.